Welcome, Welcome to, to the Better, Better Call Daddy Show. This is Big Daddy. Oh my God, that's hysterical. You're not going to believe this. Oh, oh my God. God. Five stars. Five and a half stars. Papa. My dad is my hero. Grandpa, are you ready? I love a good happy ending. Oh boy. Hey, hey, It's a phony baloney. And a tit for tatter. Hey, a lot of these things, I don't know where you're getting them from. It sounds like they're coming from when I look in the mirrors. Damn the public. Damn the public. <laughs> Dr. Roseanne is a mental health trailblazer. She's changing the way we view and treat children's mental health. And she's taking a bunch of questions from the audience today. Dr. Roseanne, welcome. Hey, how are you? Great. How are you doing? Good. I'm going to give my daughter the headphones for one second because okay. I told her who I was interviewing and she was very excited about this conversation and she wanted to ask you a question. Oh, that's so sweet. Oh, feel this free. Is- Hi, Celia. Hi. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. <laughs> I heard you have a question for me. Yeah. Oh, well, it's kind of like a comment. Like, I also have trouble focusing in class. <laughs> it happens to a lot of really smart people. You know, what do you do to help be focused? Well, I have fidgets. And it helps, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know what is a good little, what we call a hack? Like movement in the morning helps a little bit, even like five or 10 minutes. Like what kind? Do you have a dance? Put on two songs and dance. I could, but like, it's going to be too loud. Oh, tough nookies on those other people. How about you just put some headphones on? I could. Yeah, because I can't dance without music. But as soon as I hear music, I dance. It's a good little habit to do. What do you think about? It's a good idea. Yeah. Plus, when you dance, you feel you feel joy. It makes you feel happy. You were even asking if you could bring your iPod on the bus because you love music so much, right? Yeah. Well, I want to bring both because I recorded like some songs on my phone and some songs on my iPod. Do you have any other questions or? I just wanted to say hi. I love that you came and talked to me. That is beautiful. So thank you. It's a family affair on the, on the Better Call Daddy show. (laughs) Honestly, that's like a pretty cool thing. I've had a lot of, I've had kids show up. They're usually not happy that they're there you know what I mean but I love that she was independent and had a question for me I think that's so cool yes I love to include her in the show she does some of the transitions let's switch it over to grandpa she has introed some of the guests maybe I'll have her intro you I like involving her in the creative process it's really absolutely great. my kids like you know I grew up with an, a, a family business and you know we were like painting apartments we were doing all kinds of stuff and I think it's really good for kids to see you know how you work and how you don't just acquire things like without effort that is such a great transition because actually something that I was struggling with recently, ties into that. So my teenager, he's 13. He doesn't like me talking about him, but he wanted to get a PC. And I think that actually he framed it well, where he wants to try Bitcoin mining and he wants to use it for gaming. And he feels like if he has a more powerful PC, he will be able to make money from it. And I know this is true. Like if you have better tools. Yeah. You can be more efficient. I like efficient. that he thought it out, Rena. Yeah, yeah. It was it was a good pitch until he asked me for the money. <laughs> yeah. And then I was like, hmm, you hmm. did just have a bar mitzvah and you have been learning how to invest with my dad. How about let's put some of that money towards it, right? Like 
I very much worry, and this is just from other family members that I've seen, if you give children money without them having any appreciation for it, then they turn into spoiled brats. Yes, they do. A hundred percent. Yeah. We always think about our kids like, oh, they're working hard at school. Okay. I get that. But that doesn't really always translate into understanding the common sense things in life, right? We worked hard in school when we grew up. We also did other things, right? We had time in our day to have a job or do errands or volunteer. I don't know how much these kids today have. So it is like, I want to honor that and that kids today are very scheduled related to school. But Kids have to, when it comes to earning, I do think kids, even privileges, right, that we kind of give our kids, why aren't they earned? And setting up an earning system is a smart idea because it gives kids like, for example, my kids don't ask anymore for extra Wi-Fi time. They have a certain amount they have to budget and we use a device to give them a certain amount and that's it. And then they know that in order to get extra time, they have to do certain physical tasks, like certain chores and things like that. So they know what they are and they say, Hey, we're going to go cut the lawn. And then how can I get this much Wi-Fi time? We're like, okay. So they don't even like try to, they're like, this is what we're doing. And this is, can I get this much? And we're always like, sure. And there's no more arguing anymore. Have you been like that from the beginning? No, this is pre-pandemic because my teenager like hacked into, my husband does computers and to this day, we don't know how this happened. He took computers from the nineties and two thousands and somehow hacked into the internet. And we, to this day, do not know how it happened. And he's never told us. So we were like, we need to get a better device. So we use a tool called Gryphon And what it does is you can limit any website, this, that, and the other thing, but it also puts a limit on the amount of time they have on the Wi-Fi. So, because we were sick and tired of arguing with them about, oh, can I have 10 more minutes? Can I have this? And can you get off? And this, that, and the other thing. And, And this is just like, nope, this is what it is. Here's the rules, done. Yeah, that's amazing. How have you come up with other things that they can do? Because I hear that all the time. Like there is nothing else to do. I mean, you know, there is no basketball. If you want to do Muay Thai, you got to be masked. The physical activities have really gone away. And that is something that can be helpful for regulating behavior. Absolutely. And it's important. I mean, so I think we've moved back into kids spending more time together. I don't think it's the same. There certainly isn't the same level of kind of freedom. My youngest, we switched into a different school and I know the first meet and greet, it was outside and people were masked up. And I was like, we're outside, you know, and there ain't many of us, you know, and the teacher came out and she's like, why is everybody wearing a mask? I was like, and you know, then the kids just started running and playing and whatnot. You know, how did people get through the pandemic structure and routine, right? And then family activities. Like we saw people doing more family things. My husband and boys play basketball at night. We try different things. We have a little, you know, lift weights. So we've kind of, we continue to do more family physical kind of stuff. I mean, that's just what we sort of adapted that into our regular lifestyle. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah, actually, my preteen has gotten in amazing shape through the pandemic. See? On his own accord. But there wasn't a whole lot else to do. (laughs) Nope. 
they're just not used to their brains are so you know easily they want stimulation and they're used to it from a device right and we didn't grow up with that so we had to do different things right but our kids are, are conditioned to be on their devices and it's hard like they're like oh just go and play i think that was one of the biggest things that the biggest mistakes parents made is they said just go and play but you have to structure activities you have to show them what to do you have to provide lists for kids that can't think of things on their own you know it's like when your kid comes down and says i don't know what to eat my kids i'll walk them over to the fridge and i'm like okay here's some options they're like oh okay a lot of times my kids then just make it themselves or or whatever it is or sometimes i'm like let's make something together let's make it for everybody whatever but they just don't know how to put things together it's like you have different levels of a cook right i heard on another interview that you mentioned you had a 2400 square foot garden Oh, my parents do. My mom and dad have a 2,400 square foot garden. Yeah. This year was out of control. They had so many zucchini flowers. He was bringing it to his friend's restaurant. Pretty impressive, right? Yeah. Squash do really take over though. Yes, they do. (laughs) Wow. So how has that influenced your parenting? I mean, it's influenced every fiber of my being. I mean, we are the only people in the United States. So our whole family is still in Italy. And, you know, you're just raised with a different sense of values as anybody who comes from a different culture. For people that have maintained their cultures, like I still have a lot of very Italian traditions that we're passing on to my kids, right? From holiday traditions, like I do a very Italian American thing. I do the night of the seven fishes. And then we cook all this seafood and all my Jewish friends come over because they're- Yeah, I totally don't know what that is. Can you tell me? Yeah, so, you know, basically it's an Italian American tradition where you're supposed to be celebrating Jesus and how he turned bread into fish and all this other stuff and it's whatever, da, da, da. And so it doesn't go on in Italy. It only goes on here. And basically for Italians, it's all about the food, okay? So that's all I know about it is it's the best meal of the year. We make like fried calamari, we do fried bacala, we do dishes called like unzalata de mar, which is all the seafood over pasta. We, it's, it's so good. And it's such a tradition in our family. So how do I bring it in? We also still do very sort of peasant Italian things. Like we make our own wine, we make cured meats, you know, just other things that are very cultural kind of you know, making sure that we're talking to our neighbors and, you know, sort of connecting with other people. And I think one of my favorite things about, you know, being Italian and being in Italy is just how warm everybody is and how chatty everybody is and, you know, neighbors kind of helping each other out. Those are things of values that I've always taken on and just who I am. What would you do if you had a kid that rejected that? Well, thankfully, my kids are like the biggest foodies in the whole world. I don't know. I mean, do you have kids that reject traditions? I mean, I have a friend right now that their family is rejecting their religion. The dad said to me, what do I do? Because he's so into his religion. And I said, she's looking for a way to have control. 
you've taught her well. You just have to say, like, I honor and respect you. This religion will always be there for you. And when you're ready to come back or participate in any way, just know that we're here. And just keep loving her up. Don't be like, you're awful. You're going to, you know, whatever it is. That's just the worst thing you can do. And you just try to say, okay, you know, here it is. My kids embrace the Italian culture and all the things because we food is love in our culture. And we do a lot of loving through food. I love to send food gifts. I love to have people over and make beautiful meals. My house is set up, you know, I have the outside kitchen, you know, and the kids love all that stuff. They're so used to everybody coming over. They are a little bit of a food snap, you know, like they're like, remember one time we went to a baby shower and they had like an omelet stand and my John Carlos said, we got to get out of here and we got to go to a restaurant. There ain't nothing to eat. That's kind of cute, but also could be awkward. Oh, it was 100% right. I mean, I was like, you got an omelet bar for four hours? That's not happening in an Italian baby shower, let me tell you. Or a Jewish baby shower. Yeah, you're like, that's not going to cut it. It's not going to cut it. Because again, in the culture, we would have like, we send everybody home with food. You know what I mean? There's like enough for 100 extra people right oh yeah the bar mitzvah I was eating that food for like you know after a week you're like okay we can throw some away yeah right you should have froze it girl oh my god well with the first one you just you don't know so you You don't know completely overbuy even in a pandemic Mm -hmm. I didn't even have enough like storage I'm like asking every neighbor on the street I'm like who has an extra fridge it was crazy wow that's when you get those seven day coolers that's what I got Oh, it was so crazy. I mean, I even hired caterers and you don't know until you do it once. No, I know. And then I still double it. So it's just the way it works. You know, we like, thank God we love leftovers in our house, but yeah, for sure. For sure. But you know, you have certain things that are part of your, your culture. And hopefully as you get away from your culture of origin, when you're here in America, you retain some of those because it's pretty special you know, some of the things, you know? Definitely. It's funny because I did have years where it wasn't so much a part of my life. I lived a little, you know, in my twenties, I was more self-centered and career focused. And, but then when you want to have a family, I feel like it creeps back in. Oh, for sure. Cause you're like, I want my kids to experience this and I want my kids to experience that. So out of my siblings, I'm really the only one who's carried on a lot of the traditions. Like and yeah, absolutely. It's just important to me. I think it's, it's so nice. And I get to hear my kids planning, of course, a trip to Disney, Christmas of 2022, another year. And I was like, let's come back after Christmas day. And they were like, oh, we will miss the night of the seven fishes. No. And I was like, well, we could just do it a few days later. I mean, nobody's going to know. And they're like, oh, we'll know. I was like, okay. That's really cool. How cool is that? Yeah. So I almost feel like in some ways, even if they're saying like, you know, when I turn 18, I'm not going to keep kosher. Like they, you know, they want to like try food that they can't have or whatever. I'm like, Ooh, it's so rebellious. Like, Ooh, if that's the worst of it, like uh, I could forgive that. Right. But, but I hope that they remember like having Shabbos meals and like having special food and like having Friday night dinner, because I didn't necessarily grow up 
being so strict with that. And that's something that I like implemented with my husband and we kind of like wanted that for our family together. And so I can tell you, I remember all of that. I remember, you know, the Sunday dinners, the this, the that, and whatever. And I certainly remember all my friends wanting to come to my house to eat. And also everybody trying to trade their lousy peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for my spectacular lunch. Who's not having any of that. That's interesting. Oh yeah. They would try to trade, you know, my mother would make me these in particular, it was like Portuguese rolls, you know, Portuguese rolls. So that was not popular. Then you had like, you know, Wonder Bread and she would make me like homemade roast beef and she would send me in with soups in the thermos and just really all, we only had homemade food. I never, I even had mayonnaise or really processed foods until I became a teenager. Wow. I did not grow up eating healthy like that. I, I heard you say that you really do think about health holistically. Yes. And that you serve like three veggies a meal. Oh, I I grew up with two or three veggies a meal. And oh yeah, absolutely. My mother was like, again, she can make anything taste good. So we are gluten and dairy free in my house, kind of on the paleo side, which means low grains, lots of meats and fish, fat, and a lot of veggies and fruit. And my kids love that. So you have to get, you know, you have to be creative. You have to have, you know, know how to spice food and make it taste good and things like that. But my kids love that stuff. I mean, I post a lot of times on Instagram, like what I'm making for breakfast or lunch. I posted something yesterday. My 11 year old likes, likes dinner for breakfast, right? He's, he likes breakfast foods later. He's a meat, vegetable, fruit kid. I mean, when I say this kid is like, Mike, he used to walk up to me when he was little and be like, you got any meat? So I have to carry like beef jerky and stuff with me wherever I went. It was hysterical. So I had posted yesterday, he had steak for breakfast with hearts of palm, which if you've ever had hearts of palm, it's hard to say, but it's like, has a taste almost of an artichoke heart. It's briny and salty. It's delicious. So everyone kept direct messaging me. What is that? What is that? What is that? And I just thought it was so interesting because, you know, it's not something that everyday people eat. And it's certainly not something that, you know, my kids, you know, they, they've been eating that since they were like, maybe, you know, as soon as they could eat and they got to that in the first year of their life, they love that stuff. I feel like cooking healthy dinners every night is not really something that a lot of busy parents do. I think it's easier to cook healthy than it is to cook junk. I mean, don't get me wrong. I can build, you know, make a, a like a five-star gourmet meal that requires a lot of chopping and prepping, but you know, the bulk of what we do are, you know, roasted, pan-fried or grilled proteins, you know, meats and fish the same with veggies. So that's like the base of what we do. And it's fast. You know what I mean? You can marinate meats, you can have them in the fridge, boom, you pop them in a pan or throw them in the oven and let it do its work while you're helping your kids with their homework. And it's just a matter of shopping for the things, right? You know what I mean? But we don't eat a lot of like yesterday, I pulled out of the freezer, I did have cauliflower pizza crust pizza. You know, this stuff's everywhere now that that came from Costco. There are some more accessible kind of things, but we don't do a lot of, you know, it's, it's just easy. It's part of our lifestyle. Do you think the food that you eat affects your behavior? 
Oh, I mean, it's clinically proven that the food you eat affects your behavior. I mean, you know, what you put in your mouth affects your brain. And I talk a lot about it in my book, it's going to be okay. But what makes the brain more focused, for example, right? Consistent protein. So not going more than four hours without protein and a non-dairy protein source is best. So, you know, chicken, fish, nuts, things like that. Healthy fat. Most people really missing fat out of their diet. And it's really what helps the brain uh, neurotransmitters to work, to communicate more effectively. And that's just that regulated blood sugar not only helps attention, but it helps with regulating mood. That's really interesting. So one question that someone asked me out of my Facebook group was, yeah. why are pills the first treatment that's offered? Oh, I'd love to hear what, what she thinks. <laughs> I'm going to tell you, it's really good marketing from pharma. And we are a mental health system that is built on the backbone of medicine. We are not following research and there's a lot of money involved. So for example, with kids, 70% of psychiatric medications for, that are used on children and teens are what's called off-label. And that means that there are, is no research study to substantiate the efficacy of that with that clinical condition. So that's one part of it. So it's a lack of following the research about what actually works, right? And we have pharma really dictating that. And this is not conspiracy. This is not anything. This is part of what it is. You can't be home to, in the middle of the day without 20, you know, pharma commercials. The other part of that is a belief by people that there's a quick fix and that you don't have to work on your behaviors because a pill's going to fix it. And that's a load of baloney. You can't say, I'm going to not be anxious. I'm going to take this pill, but I'm going to keep doing the same behaviors. It's not what works. That's not the way the brain works. So it's, it's misinformation. It's, it's a belief that we you know, can do things without really doing the work. And I'm here to say, why would you give your power to a pill? Like you can create changes that you can do on your own that will make lasting change and you don't need to be on a pill for it. I love that. Why would you give your power to a pill? How can you tell when the changes you are making are working? I'm such a data nerd, Rena. Like what I do is I have people do a 30 day blank calendar and if it's for themselves, they do it one way. If it's for their kid, they do it another way. But I have them rate, pick one goal, one goal, not five. So maybe it's yell less at my kids. Maybe it's I'm going to count to 10 before I scream or this or that, whatever it is. And then I have them chart it for 30 days and rate it from a zero to five. Zero, no change, five to change. And then pick a strategy. Like what's your strategy or two or three that you're going to do to meet your goal? In the case of not yell at anybody or whatever, like, are you doing breath work? Are you making sure you're going for a morning walk? Like, what are you doing to really ignite change? You can't just say, I don't want to be depressed, but I'm going to sit on my couch. You got to get your butt up. Because the science says when you move, you, your endorphins come out, your feel-good brain transmitters. So, you know, you really have to do that. And then 
the charting is for you to celebrate micro changes because a lot of people say, oh, two or three days, this ain't working. Well, that's not how it works. You got to change the way brain and behavioral patterns are going to take a minimum of 10 days to take some change, as we know through science. And you study brain changes. Yes. I would love you to talk about the differences between bio and neurofeedback. Yeah, I would love to talk about it. I can geek at it all day. So I do a lot of work with regulating the nervous system and we're all dysregulated, right? And it shows up in sleep problems, focus problems, you know, irritation, anxiety, depression, all those things. That's a dysregulated nervous system and brain. And so I use three big tools I use is neurofeedback, biofeedback, and something called PEMF. And all three get your nervous system from a stressed out, sympathetic dominant down into a regulated parasympathetic dominant. And when we're regulated, we can think, pay attention and take action. When we're not regulated, our brain can get hijacked. And when you're totally dysregulated, you can go into fight, flight or freeze. And it's shut down there. You're, you're not going to get action or thoughts at all in any way. You're literally lost control. It's a primitive kind of leftover reflex. And this happens to people all the time due to chronic stress and, you know, anxiety, depression, trauma, all these things cause ourselves to do this. So with biofeedback is the simplest one. It's using devices to regulate that nervous system. So we have devices that show you when your heart and your breath, your heart rate and your breath are synced. And when it's synced, you lower feelings of anxiety, you improve sleep, you improve attention, simple device. You can also do things like use technology to tell you if your temperature is changing. We know that when your body is hotter, you actually are happier. When it gets colder, you will feel more pain, you will feel more stress. So you can learn how to raise your body temperature through biofeedback. Pretty cool. And that's been around ages. We're almost approaching about a hundred years of biofeedback. And then neurofeedback is through the use of computers. You learn to not just regulate your nervous system, but you actually learn to change brain waves over certain areas of the brain and how the brain talks. All those same things of biofeedback, making you more focused and re reducing stress and all that. But this is next level because let's say you're somebody with OCD and I can train that area in the brain related to OCD to stop having that same intensity, right? Maybe I can't fully eliminate, maybe I can, it all depends on each person, but you have intrusive thoughts all the time. Well, you can, what we call downtrain in that area, so it's not so active. You can also improve areas related to focus, if you're ADHD or you name it, any area that is anything that's a function in the brain, you can train it. And the training is safe, natural, it's been around over 50 years at that point, at this point, tens of thousands of research studies and people all over the world do, you can find a provider, which is pretty cool. And then I use something called PMF, which is pulse electromagnetic frequency. That's a whole other topic, but it instantaneously regulates that nervous system and gets it down into that parasympathetic state. It's pretty cool. It's something that when I get off of here, I'll go and put on and use. <laughs> really? So, yeah, it just makes you, when you get into that, I call it the hot tub state, parasympathetic. When you get into that relaxed state, you feel great, right? Who doesn't feel good at, after coming out of a hot tub? Nobody. 
is this something that people can do themselves? Oh, absolutely. You can buy the technology. There's all different kinds of technology. You know, I deal with people who have clinical issues a lot, even though I work with people all over the world remotely. So they want the technology I use is, you know, I want to always call it like a Bentley. It's very controllable. You can only buy it through a practitioner. I can make very specific protocols for things like attention or a head injury or somebody who's got immune system issues. I work a lot with people with Lyme disease, those kind of things. So I can make these very specific protocols where other forms of PMF are sort of just general relaxing kind of stuff. And that's awesome. You know, to have a device that's not drug or an alcoholic beverage or something that makes you relaxed and helps your whole body, not just making you feel relaxed, but when you, you know, they say stress is a killer because it is. Stress is one of the worst things. Repeated stress without addressing it is one of the worst possible things you can do to your, your brain and body, you know? So anything we can do to lessen that is, is a win. I'm curious, does stress show up differently in women? I would say so. You know, women are sort of more prone to their systems shutting down and having like hormone dysregulation with stress and uh, what we call adrenal burnout. Women carry stress differently. They tend to way more be what we call internalizers. They take it on in the inside. They, they say bad things to themselves. You know, they're really tough where men are more likely, I'm making a generalization and but men, I'm more likely to see it be an irritant for them. It might show up more as anger and those kind of things. Not that all men are angry and some women are really angry. So, you know, but women are more likely to be on the internalizing side. And part of that's culture, you know, cultural and how we kind of enculturate our boys and our males and females. But women definitely carry it silent until their body breaks down. That's really interesting. I did hear a speaker at an event that I went to and she was an executive at I think IBM and she spoke about losing sight in an eye multiple times before she was like, okay, I need to take a break. <laughs> yeah, right. Stress can do anything and people don't understand what it is. And they'll go chase down a physical symptom looking for an answer when the answer is stress. Wow. Yeah. So someone else asked me too about PTSD and how that can show up in different ways. Like even like the materials that you're wearing or things like that can agitate yeah. PTSD. Have you heard of that? Oh, sure. I mean, I have done a lot of work with post-traumatic stress disorder, you know, and post-traumatic stress disorder is something traumatic happens. It's left unresolved in some way. And the body, it shows up typically in the body and in our behavior, right? And there's all types of traumatic events. So there's the trauma we think of when people particularly are young, where they're victimized in some way or neglected. That would be called early developmental trauma when that happens when they're young. Early deve developmental trauma during those formative years is very tough because it becomes very ingrained in the subconscious. When it happens, particularly what we call pre-verbal before a child could talk, you know, you don't have a typical baseline. You don't have a start 
you weren't loved and cared for and provided safety in the way that you should have been. And, you know, whenever I work with somebody with trauma, I always apologize to them and say, I'm very sorry. This is, should have never happened to you. And I want to say that, uh, you know, I'm sorry because, you know, and, and often people are like, nobody's ever said that to me. And I was like, it's not right. And you need to hear that. And you need to stop thinking it was anything to do with you, you know, and then there's people that experience trauma along the way right? Sometimes they're big events. I work with people with 9-11 and Sandy Hook tragedy. And then there are people that experience everyday traumas like medical traumas, you know, or betrayal traumas or just everything, right? And the thing about trauma is what you bring to the table helps you recover, right? So if people have early trauma, it's harder to recover, especially when something happens a second time. But if you had like a pretty typical existence and then something horrible happens or something mid-level happens, you're more likely to recover from it. It doesn't mean you can do it on your own. You probably still need help. But what happens is something gets ingrained and it's going to show up. It could show up in what you called texture sensitivity or sound sensitivity, or it could show up in those classic ways that you think of, maybe erratic behavior or avoidant behavior or somebody's very painfully shy, but they're really not. It's the trauma. So it can show up in a lot, a lot of ways that reflect what we call that dysregulation. And some people experience trauma, you know, they get support, they get TLC, they resolve it and they move on, but it, it gets stuck in the body. So it's going to show up in one way or another if somebody doesn't address it. Yeah. I was wondering too, like what happens when you don't address it? How much harder is it to recover later? It's not only, it becomes harder because it, you start what we call activating more. So, you know, I had a traumatic event where it's a long story, but I'll make it really quick where basically, essentially I was held hostage and I had to talk my way out of it. I know. <laughs> and it was somebody that I used to know pretty well. And so I am so sassy and saucy that I was like, I'm going to handle this and I'm going to get through it. And I did. They had me for about 20 minutes. And I knew that if I had tried to leave, they were, were going to attack me. And so I talked my way through it because I thought, oh, whatever. And what happened was it was it was traumatic. And as soon as they left, I locked the door and all this other stuff. It was a lot of it was a very chaotic thing. And I had to worry because I had my own child was where on site where we were and he was in a different area. Otherwise, I might have handled it differently. Right. But I didn't want to be physically attacked and him for to walk into the room. So just to visualize that. So I walked out of there and I was like, I got through it. I did a great job. I did all that. And then what started to happen? was all of a sudden I started to startle over everything, Rena. Like if somebody came up and just was walking and I knew they were in the room and they came in my peripheral vision, I literally was, you know, just startle, 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 startle. Then I started to startle at night, in the middle of the night and just wake up startled. And it kept getting worse and worse. Now I only let this go on a few weeks. 
And then I went to what we call a somatic therapist and she helped me to pull it out and kind of do it. She gave me a series of activities and we, we, you know, I went to her for a little bit and, you know, here I am an emotionally healthy person. And I went through a really scary event that also had betrayal involved in it. So there was like a double trauma. And I share this with people because we think we're strong. Like somebody said to me after you're the strongest person I know. And for you to get up and say this hurt you made you even stronger. And I was like, you know, this is why I talk about these things because sometimes we think of things and we're like, well, I wasn't beaten. I got through there. Nobody punched me. You know, this, I did a great job. It still was traumatic. You know, it was awful. And here I am years later talking about it, but our body is telling us it's a problem. Our mind can tell us a problem because of the way we show up and the way we think. You know, I rectified it within a matter of weeks and it still took me some time to kind of get my body, you know, to stop reacting, but it wasn't like that. The longer, the more you let that activation happen, the more it's going to happen. So if I did nothing, Rena, I would have been a hot mess within months. What happens for women that are being abused? Well, I mean, you know, they're in fight, flight, or freeze all the time, right? And especially if they're with an abuser, it's the person, they're in the area or in the house, right? And the thing about trauma is your subconscious is getting triggered, right? So even in my own experience, and I'm sharing this to enlighten people, they sat and yelled at me for upwards of 20 minutes, okay? And there was multiple people there. What they said was so crazy. Like, it was just crazy. But I remember what they said. And for a while, I would activate on stupid things, right? That is when somebody's abused, right? What if they hear a song? What if they hear, you know, have a smell? Their nervous system is activating, activating. The great news is there's these wonderful therapies, right? So we do like somatic experiencing. We do neurofeedback. We pair it together. We get that nervous system down. And then they can do some resolution work on what happened. When we start with talk therapy with somebody who's traumatized, it's been, it's not effective. So you've got to regulate the nervous system. This is my, my theory. You know, it's, it's based on science, but we do brain behavior reset. So regulate the brain, show them new ways to behave. You reset. That's really my life's work. And I'm not the only person doing this work. Do I have it in a really unique way? Of course. But we have to show people, you know, so many people go to psychotherapy and they're like, that was a waste of three years of my life because they're not taking care of their nervous system, right? So when we get it to calm down, our brain can work. And we can think through things. We can take action. We can create change instead of being trapped in trauma. What are the steps that someone should take? Well, I think the first thing is, you know, to say to yourself, you know, I didn't deserve this trauma and I'm going to take care of it. You deserve this in yourself because we often are so ashamed when things happen. And what has to happen next is you need to search trauma therapist 
near me. You can ask for advice from one of your friends. You could go to a trusted medical provider or somebody you know and care about, get a name. You can go to Psychology Today, you know, one of the major organizations, Anxiety and Depression Association. And you can, you can find somebody who is a trauma therapist. If you're going to a generalist, if you're going to somebody who's like, yeah, I work with people with trauma. No, you need to go to somebody who specializes in it. You know, I haven't had a general practitioner for well over 20 years. And I was like, okay, I need a general practitioner. I got somebody who's amazing, holistic, all kinds of stuff. And I just went to specialists. I'm like that too. You would think with how much information is available today. Yeah, there's no common sense, Rena is easy as what you're describing, but most people look who's in network. They might ask a friend or two, they might call a couple of numbers and they just go with who's covered. And that doesn't work. No. And you know, Rena, again, people are putting a physician at the top of the health pyramid when they should be on the top. I was on a podcast, Daphne Oz and Hilaria Baldwin's podcast. And, and Hilaria said to me, you're going to hate me, but do you like Google? And I was like, I love Dr. Google. Like, I think it's a great thing to have information. Can you get, you know, I don't want you to get paralyzed by it. Like, I want you to take action from it. But we've become to the place where we're more knowledgeable than some physicians, you know, and there's no excuse for it. The information, I mean, somebody always says to me, well, how do you know so much? And I'm like, because I, tr- I learn, I study every day, you train, this is my commitment. I didn't say I finished school and I'm done. Like, and my clients have so many challenges that they bring me to learn more, do more, because I don't accept that you're not getting better. Like, I know why people don't get better. That's easy for me. It's a matter of studying, you know, Eastern, Western, how, how are things connected And how can we take a common sense approach? I am really interested because I feel like you say something that is a little bit controversial. You say that things can be reversed. I know. You know, Amazon made me change my book cover. Wow. I love that. I love that. Yeah. I don't know Mm -hmm. if you loved that. I didn't love it. I mean, I was like, what? They told me that they would never allow me to run an ad, that it's false advertising, I work with people every day and so do, so do my other friends who are practitioners who help people reduce and reverse mental health symptoms. Did they want you to rephrase that? Oh, I had to take it out. You can't, on Amazon, people aren't going to find your book unless you put a little cheap ad on it, you know, $5 or whatever it is. But yeah, they told me flat out and I appealed it and I said, there's 40 pages of research here. Who's got 40 pages of research? I mean, I got all the licensure and the certifications and this and that. Nope. It is controversial. And my peers do not like it that I say that because they don't have the resources. They're not studying the neuroscience to inform clients on how to change their brain and behavior. They're not. Can you talk to me a little bit about that research and some of the reversal that you've seen? That is fascinating. Yeah. So I lay it all out in my book. It's going to be okay. It's written for parents to support their kids, but it's the same pillars. There's eight pillars of mental health. And There's so much research. So for example, you brought up diet. The best general way to eat is something called an anti-inflammatory diet. And there is so much research on how it improves attention, how it reduces anxiety, depression, how it's an anti-aging diet. 
right? There's so many clinical benefits, okay? Why isn't your physician telling you to have an anti-inflammatory diet? And so we're not disseminating that information to people. And there's, there's a perception. People always say to me, oh my God, I'm so sorry. You don't eat gluten. I was like, why are you sorry for me? I mean, you should be sorry that I have to buy expensive, you know, I have to buy a lot of meat and fish for my kids. But it's just a different way. You're not as hungry when you eat a lot of meat, fat, and veggies. You're just not, you're not snacky in the same way or anything like that. I do have a kid that eats all the time. I mean, it's kind of ridiculous. So, um, but he was always like that. He's super thin. I mean, what am I going to do? You know, when your Italian mother goes, hey, Giancarlo, he eats too much. I'm like, we're in trouble. We have been conditioned that we can't change our mental health and that it's a condition that will require psychiatric medication for the rest of your life. And that's just foolish. Do I ever think psych med is, is never, you know, there's never a time when it's needed? Of course, there's a time when it's needed, but it should never, ever be the first thing we do to give a kid. That is terrible. We have developing brains. We know what it does to the brain. We have so many other interventions that need to be tried. And if physicians, mental health providers said to their patients, guess what? You're going to do this, this, and this, and this is why, and this is what happened. I'm not saying every parent is hundred percent on board. We don't honor parents by telling them what needs to happen. We don't explain the why, you know, people come in like my kid's got ADD. Really? Does he really have ADD? Maybe it's something else. Who knows, right? 50% of the time people come to me, say they have ADD. They don't, they have a learning problem or anxiety or something else is going on. But, you know, I work with people within my methodology, this brain behavior reset, and it's, they are working as much as I am working and they create lasting change. I mean, I've worked with thousands of people over this 30 years and I have had the privilege now that many of my people are adults, many of the kids, you know, so I get to see what happens to them. You know, I've had many people lose clinical diagnoses, very extreme clinical diagnoses like autism and ADHD. This is not going to happen to everybody. But have I ever been part of a team that has helped kids lose forever a clinical diagnosis? Yes, over and over and over and over again. I can tell you that number one, the parent believes and has hope and is willing to do the work and they adopt lifestyle changes. So it's not as much about, it is equally much about, okay, I'm, I'm going to work with you. We're going to do this kind of psychotherapy. We're going to do neurofeedback. Then the parents are like, I hear you, Dr. Roseanne. I need an anti-inflammatory diet to make my brain work. Yes. Okay. I'm willing to do that. Okay. I've got to cut stress. How are we going to do that? Okay. Can you do that every day? Can you do that for 10 or 15 minutes a day? Sure. And they start taking on those changes and they reprioritize and recalibrate and make health a priority. Is it ever too late? No, it's never too late. I mean, my mother-in-law is, we call her Grammy Hodge, AKA Action Grammy. She is, I think she's going to be 75. I can't even tell. She's always been an active person and but she along the way gave really mostly gave up wheat you know really got started eating differently more in that paleo way and all that let me tell you so at almost 75 she rides her bike 
50 miles at a time. She black diamond skis and she boogie boards every week. Okay. God love her. God love her. We take her to Disney. We get home. We're laying around like we're dead. And she goes, where's the gym? I got to lift weights. True story. You are never too old. Right. And I deal with people that have you know, health issues that force them to make these changes. And so it is, it's never a way. I always encourage you to do these things as a family and you can start small. You can say, well, I'm going to change my diet by 25% and look at how you feel, celebrate it. You know, okay, maybe, maybe I'm not going to have a crappy American breakfast every day, you know, which is like muffins and pancakes and oh maybe I'm going to switch my pancake to an almond pancake because it's got protein in it and it doesn't have all these icky ingredients maybe I'm going to say I'm I'm going to cut down sugar by 50 percent or I'm not going to have soda these are little changes that people can do and then they can say well you know I feel a little better and I'm sleeping a little better and I like the way I feel that's often how my family start and then they're like okay I'm convinced I'm ready to do some more So, and healthy food is very accessible. Most of America, you know, like it's very different landscape in the last 10 years. Like I've been eating this like this my whole life. And, you know, I remember like trying to get organic food or, or even just, you know, things of better choices. Even Chick-fil-A has a gluten-free bun now. But that's probably not a healthy choice. (laughs) But it's better than the alternative. Sometimes it's about, these are not fabulous but one is better so let's go with something that has a different kind of grain you know those kind of things you know whatever whatever it is I'm gonna have grilled chicken instead of fried chicken or if I'm having fried chicken I'm making it myself you know those kind of things can I ask you a a little bit of a controversial question yeah what are your thoughts on psychedelics they're increasingly popular I'm not this is this is how I am I'm so like people need to do what feels best for them Okay. I do think psychedelics have become the false answer and anything, whether it's neurofeedback or psychedelics or psych med, if you're saying that's going to fix it without changing the behaviors, I'm a no. It's like pot smoking. I have people that are like, okay, I smoke pot once or twice a week. Fine. Oh, I'm smoking pot every hour on the hour. And um, I'm pretty stuck. No, that's not a good idea. I don't care if it's legal. You know, like that's not a healthy thing. So is it bringing health? Are you creating lasting change is really my answer. But I see too many people thinking the psychedelics are going to fix it. That's a good answer. And also I'm curious, have you ever tried medication yourself? I mean, I'm on thyroid medication, but I don't need mental health medications. I've never needed it. And that's not to say I haven't had a period of anxiety or anything. I just chose different things, you know? Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, I would love you to promote away. Thank you so much for your time. This has been super interesting. I am definitely going to get your book. I guess I would just want to wrap. I usually ask if you want to ask my dad anything, but my, my final question would be, your thoughts on telehealth, because we've seen a surge in telehealth. Yeah. Do you think that that's a good option? Well, I actually, you probably don't know this. I wrote the first book ever on teletherapy activities therapists can use with kids. So it was the first book ever written on that. So here's what I want to say. It's like regular therapy. It's only as good 
as if the person is motivated and as good as the quality of that therapist. But the research is solid. It is, it's been around since the 60s because it started on the phone. It's a very effective way. And people have come to like, you know, the saving of the time and, you know, and the privacy and, you know, all that other stuff and accessibility. You can see somebody in a far corner of your state that maybe you couldn't, you know. So I think and the insurance cool. companies are coming on board with it or? It depends on your insurance. You have to do it within your state, right? So you can't go out of state. I say all the time, I have the privilege of being the last provider somebody goes to every day. Wow. Yep. It's a frustrating thing because they often have had to go to many people, but we do a really good job of screening people out. Like who's ready? Who's really ready for the change? And people say like, what? And I'm like, sometimes systems happen and people like their chaos. You know what I mean? So, you know, change can happen when everybody really wants it to and sees it and is willing to do that work. When it comes to neurofeedback, that's a wellness thing. We can see people wherever. When it comes to psychotherapy, we only see people who are licensed in our state. But we do some coaching too. So we have coaching programs too. You can get on my website and you can call people. There's also a contact form and application. We get back to people, do the application more quickly. You know, so it is definitely a time intensive and not an inexpensive thing to work with me after doing this for 30 years. We're doing a lot more work like this book for $18.95 to make things under $20 accessible where people can, you know, create change and people can follow me on social and YouTube and you can get lots of free information from me. And um, I've had a lot of people say like, I literally follow you and I do these things and I'm seeing change. So I'm like, awesome. I mean, as much as my book is a DYIR, sometimes you need clinical help. That's it. And there's no shame in that. It's like own it and do it. Is there anything you would like to ask my dad? <laughs> What's one thing he wish he taught you that he didn't? Ooh, that's a fantastic question mm -hmm. and has not been asked. I okay. love that. Okay. Yep. Thank you so, so much. This has oh, been an pleasure. absolute pleasure. I just love connecting with you. Definitely going to buy your book. Let people know how they can find all of those resources and all of those things. You can find me. The best way to find me is to go to my website, www.drrosean.com. And that's D-R-R-O-S-E-A-N-N.com. No E at the end. That's it. Loved it. Love, love, love. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for the conversation. Appreciate it. Yes. And thank you for being patient with my daughter and taking her question at the beginning. That was fun. Oh, that and was adorable. I love too that your son was bringing you water at the same time. That like was perfect. <laughs> it was really funny. So <laughs> have, have a great a night. Be well, everybody. Remember, take one step towards mental health. Amen. Thank you. Now let's switch it over to grandpa. It was a very interesting conversation with Rena and Roseanne. What's one thing you wish you taught me that you didn't. What did I try to teach you when you were younger? One of them is really patience or really tolerance of people that don't necessarily agree with your philosophy or your train of thought at the time. That's a hard lesson for anybody to really learn. Most people 
out there that if they don't necessarily agree with your philosophy, sometimes being tolerable for other people's opinion or, or methods when it goes against the grain, it's hard for sometimes all of us to accept. But uh, to have some type of tolerance level and patience for things to happen and develop sometimes would have been a good thing to uh, have under your belt. Having that patience, sometimes things work themselves out if you just give it time. Have you yourself discovered that? Yeah, because I have similar problems. So uh, I didn't do a very good job necessarily in setting the right example on those two subject matters because those are very difficult two items to really take really some growing up and years of wisdom to really relate to those two issues. And sometimes also they don't develop until a period of time goes by. I think all of us get a little antsy if we want something to happen and it doesn't happen. And when people show that they are opposite or completely against a lot of your major beliefs, it is very difficult to tolerate that. What are your thoughts on her take on Big Pharma? Big Pharma wants everybody to get fixed with drugs. And that's really not the answer. That's only really a cop-out or a temporary solution. Just like if you're in pain, you want to take some pain medicine, especially if you have a back problem, as you know, but uh, that's not going to cure you. And that's not really going to make you feel any better. What you have to do is you have to change your mindset. You have to get into shape. You have to eat right. You have to be able to stretch and exercise and build up your muscles so that you have a chance to live pain-free without relying on drugs. This young lady is trying to do exactly that, is change your mindset and try to feel better, and your body will react a lot better to staying in motion, to the exercising. What did she say to Celia? You're having trouble focusing? Try putting on your music and dancing a little bit. Shake yourself up a little bit. Try to relax. There's a lot of people that will tell you to meditate. Someone's walking around the block, gives you the exercise, gives you also some time to yourself to where you can think and relax and enjoy. Mother nature is also a very good cure. There are many things that we can naturally do to help ourselves. I've been trying to work on that myself. I've been running and eating healthier and trying to drink more water and get more sleep. It does make a big difference. It makes a big difference. I got news to you yesterday. I got a little cranky. And today, even though it had rained all day, but it still was 75 degrees and the pool is heated. I went down to the pool for, uh, for 40 minutes and swam and then took a good hot shower afterwards. <laughs> it made me feel like a new man. If it does that for me, don't you think that would do it for everybody else too? Isn't that good medicine for anybody? So the truth of the matter is, is that I think she's right on cue, or she's really nailed it, is that to talk things out, to find the right exercise and diet and the right foods to eat has a lot to do with not only your physical being, but it also will help your mental being as well. Thanks for listening to the Better Call Daddy Show. Now you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and TuneIn. If you've enjoyed this episode of the Better Call Daddy Show, please feel free to review it at ratethispodcast.com slash bettercalldaddy. Add Better Call Daddy Podcast on IG at Rena Friedman Watts on LinkedIn.com. Hold up. 